right, good morning. Go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We have been walking through the book of Exodus. Israelites, of course, are in Egypt and slavery right now. They've been crying out to God, and God hears their prayers, and he raises up Moses, of all people, to go and to rescue them, to redeem them. And so, if you've been with us, you've seen the, uh, uh, the journey that Moses has been on already. Um, and I want to point out something I don't think that I've mentioned before. Exodus is not primarily about God freeing his people from oppression. Okay, if that were the case, God could have just wiped out the Egyptians and let them live right there. Okay? Exodus is primarily about God fulfilling his promises, his covenant promises to bring them out of Egypt to the promised land. Egypt was not the promised land. Canaan was the promised land. And so Moses is sent to them not just to say, let's go, but let's go to someplace. That's what Exodus, Exodus is all about. And so God appears, we saw this last week, God appears to Moses in this burning bush and he calls him to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh. Now Moses, of course, has some questions. Okay, he's a little hesitant, understandably so. And so he starts asking questions. And his first question is simply, okay, who am I to do this? And Moses was implying that, look, I'm, I'm a nobody, God. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I mean, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. Not to mention, I did not leave there on good terms, right? I left because they wanted to kill me. And now you're saying you want me to go back and tell Pharaoh, let your people go? And I love God's simple answer to Moses is just, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, and you know what? You're going to come back to this mountain. You're going to serve me with my people. It's going to be okay. I've got your back. You've got nothing to worry about. Well, Moses continues to have more questions, though. He still is questioning God. And next he asks, okay, if the Israelites ask me, who sent me? Who do I tell them you are? In other words, the Israelites, they're, they're, they're going to question me, and, and I need to know, okay, uh, who are you? Because me just telling them that, okay, God told me to say this, that's not going to be enough for them. I need to know your name so that I can tell them who sent me. What's your name, God? And again, I love God's response. God is, he just says, I am who I am. I am who I am. God is saying, look, look, I can't be categorized. I can't be defined by you. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am completely sufficient. I am always enough. I simply am. I am who I am. Well, today we pick up in chapter 4, and Moses still has some questions and some excuses. He's obviously a little bit insecure, and Honestly, that should give us some comfort. That should give us some encouragement because if God can use Moses, he can use you and he can use me. He uses, this is God's grace, he uses flawed people all the time. Also, this should encourage us because this is one of those passages that I, I look at and it, this makes me believe the Bible is true. Because remember, who's the author of Exodus? Ultimately God, but he uses Moses 
to write it down. Moses is writing this down. So Moses is essentially tattling on himself here. I, I love, I mean, if you were writing your own history, you'd probably be tempted to leave out some of the parts that make you look bad. But not in the Bible. We get to see all the warts of our heroes, right? And so that's what we see in this passage. And, and I love it because it, it makes me know and believe that the Bible's authentic. This is real life. And it's also a reminder that while Moses is a redeemer, he's not the redeemer. Moses points to a better savior. And so let's pray, and we're going to dive into this passage. Father, I recognize that my words are not sufficient to change anybody's life or to have any kind of impact. And so I, and we need you, we need your word to be clearly spoken this morning. And so I pray that you would help me not speak my opinion, but that you would help me clearly explain your word and that we I pray that you would protect me from trying to sound smart and you would help, help us to see your glory in this passage. Help us to be in awe of you in this passage. That help, help us to recognize that you are always enough. That we are insufficient, but you are sufficient always. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 17. So hang in there with me. Then Moses answered, and then, again, this is him before God in the burning bush, and so this is a continuation of where we were last week, still in that same scene. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground. And he became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I love, this is another example of Moses and his fears, right? This is Moses and all of his warts. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob was, has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put it back, his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to your first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses is still not satisfied though, is he? But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs." All right, this is where we're headed in this passage. We're going to see the insufficiency and the insecurity of Moses, and really ourselves too. And we're going to see the sufficiency and the security of God. When we talk about sufficiency, that's adequacy. It's, it's, it's the fact that God is enough. So we're going to wrestle with this today and then talk about how it's significant to us. All right, so let's start with the insufficiency of Moses and us, Okay. So Moses, is, he's filled with all these insecurities, right? His first response, who am I to do this? It tells us that Moses recognizes that he does not have the sufficient power or the capacity to accomplish what God is calling him to do. Okay, he recognizes that. Who am I to demand anything from the king of Egypt, right? And God's response back to him wasn't, come on, man, come on, Moses, you're special, Okay, (laughs) you'll be fine. God doesn't try to give him a pep pep talk to bolster his self-esteem, doesn't he? He doesn't do that. No, instead, he gives Moses a much better promise, a much better promise. He says, I will be with you. And God is implying, you know what, what, Moses, you're right. You're not sufficient. You don't have the sufficient power or the capacity to accomplish what I'm calling you to do, but that doesn't matter. Because I do. I am sufficient. I will be with you. I will stretch out my, right, my mighty hand and convince the king of Egypt to let my people go. Moses, you are blessed to be a part of what I am doing. Moses lacked the sufficient capacity. His second response of who should I tell them sent me, that implies that Moses recognized that he doesn't have the sufficient credibility either especially with the Israelites, to convince them to follow him. And in his third response, he doesn't just imply that, he outright declares it, doesn't he? Verse 1 of our passage today, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. In other words, I don't have the cred, Lord. (laughs) Once again, God's response wasn't a pep talk to encourage him. To, to think more highly of himself or to convince him that he, he's thinking too lowly of himself. God doesn't say to Moses, look, you're being silly. They're going to listen to you. You're charming. You'll win them over. He doesn't say that, does he? Instead, God says, okay, then I'll equip you with some signs and some wonders that will authenticate your words so that they will know that you are speaking for me. And, and I love the three signs. They're packed full of meaning. Okay, the first one, turning the, the staff into a snake, that was actually a reversal of uh, a magic trick that some of the Egyptian sorcerers would do. Okay, kind of like the Indian uh, uh, snake charmers. 
Okay, they, they would hypnotize snakes and they would, the, the snake would go rigid and they would pick it up like a staff. But here God does the opposite. He takes the staff and turns it into a snake and he's saying, look, their, their puny magic tricks are nothing compared to my power. And then the second sign where he gives him le- his hand leprosy. Leprosy back then was a big deal. It was kind of like their COVID, okay? It, it was everywhere. It was a big problem. And so God is essentially saying that, look, I am sovereign even over your worst diseases. And then the third sign, turning the water from the Nile into blood, was God saying, look, I am sovereign over your life and over your gods. You see, the Nile, that was where they got their life from. I mean, that's where they got their water from. They needed that. They lived by the Nile for a reason. In fact, three of their, their gods were connected to the Nile. And so God's saying through these signs and through these wonders, look Moses, I will give you credibility because you are right. You don't have the sufficient credibility on your own. And so I will give you the credibility that you need. I have chosen you, I will be with you, and I will help you prove to those Israelites and to Pharaoh that you are speaking for me. So Moses lacked the sufficient capacity and the credibility. Moses' fourth response here in the text where he says, look, I'm not eloquent. I'm, I'm slow to speech and of tongue. That implies that Moses believed that he lacked the sufficient, sufficient competency. Okay, I, I don't have the skill. I, I, can't, I can't communicate clearly what, what you desire me to tell the Israelites and what you desire to tell me to tell Pharaoh. And at this point, you, you start to get the sense that God is getting a little bit irritated, Right? But again, God doesn't say to Moses, look, you'll be fine. Your speech is great. Stop doubting yourself. He doesn't say that, does he? He says to Moses, who made your, man, who made your mouth? Okay, I made your mouth. I will be with your mouth. He goes on to say, who makes, who makes a mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what you shall speak. On a side note, I love this verse because it's a reminder that special needs kids are not an accident, right? God has designed them to, to display a, a special part of his glory. I mean, I love, I mean, I wish we had a fraction of the passion that hope has for singing and worshiping. So God, once again, says to Moses, you don't need to be a good speaker. I'm going to be with your mouth. I made your mouth. I will teach you what to say. Now, I will say, after wrestling with this a little bit, I'm not convinced Moses was actually that bad of a speaker. Okay? A couple reasons. One, you go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 7. Stephen describes Moses as being instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. But even more convincing than that, the fact that he was fine with talking to Aaron. Okay? So, so God says, look, I'll provide Aaron, your, your brother. And I know he speaks well. You can speak to him, and then Aaron will speak to them. And, and Moses was cool with that. If it was a clarity issue, he'd still have the same problem, right? But I don't think it, 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 it wasn't a speech clarity issue. It was a scaredy catty issue, okay? Moses felt that he could speak clearly to Aaron, but he can't speak to the Israelites. He can't speak to Pharaoh because he's scared. And so Moses' final protest was simply, God, can you just please send somebody else? And this is the camel that broke the camel's back. This is what finally angers God. 
Why? Because this is Moses basically saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust that, like, you being with me, you giving me these signs and wonders, you telling me what to say, I don't believe that that's going to be sufficient. This is why the author of Hebrews says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, to please God, you need to trust in his sufficiency and that he will fulfill his promises. So Moses recognized his own insufficiency, but that wasn't the main problem. The problem was that he failed to trust in the sufficiency of God. God doesn't get angry when Moses fails to trust Moses. God gets angry when Moses fails to trust him. And so Moses is... He's insecure because he recognizes his own insufficiency, but he fails to recognize God's sufficiency. That's what causes, that's what causes his insecurity, right? And we need to understand that insecurity in our lives is actually a gift from God. Let me explain. First of all, uh, some insecurity is a healthy insecurity because it keeps you alive, okay? If you're in a dangerous situation... It's good that you're insecure. Moses fled Egypt because he knew Pharaoh wanted to kill him. That was a healthy insecurity that saved his life. If you're, if you're driving on an ice patch and your car starts to go sideways, in that moment, it's right to feel insecure, right? Insecurity is also a mercy from God when we feel conviction of sin. And it, it causes us to realize that we need a Savior. And we realize that we deserve God's wrath because we've not been reconciled to him through Christ. And so that's a mercy. because God's designed insecurity as a warning that we're in danger. It's a warning that we're vulnerable. So it's a gift because it can ultimately lead us to find our security in Christ. Now, sometimes insecurity can be consuming. Uh, sometimes this kind of insecurity, it's not simply brought on by a dangerous situation. It's much deeper. It's much more controlling. It's with us all the time for some of us. It's a, uh, something that can impact every decision that we make. It can keep us up at night. And it bubbles up in different ways in different people. Sometimes insecurity can look like meekness. Maybe you're somebody that's very compliant. You're, it can look like uh, just somebody who's uh, very apologetic, overly ap apologetic, always taking the blame, avoiding others, often avoiding attention, you end up hiding. But also, this kind of insecurity can sometimes look arrogant, prideful, defiant even, never admitting that you're wrong and, and it's because you're, you're longing for attention and approval from others. This type of insecurity, it creates this hyper self-consciousness that leaves very, room, very little room for us to love other people. And when we do love other people, or when we do nice things for other people, I should say, it's not typically because we love them, it's because we want them to love us. So what is this kind of consuming insecurity warning us against? It's warning us that our very identity is uncertain or being threatened. And I believe this is the type of uncertainty that Moses is dealing with in this passage. 
He's wrestling with his very identity as he makes excuse after excuse. And you get a sense of this in the, at the very beginning when he just simply asks, okay, who am I? I mean, that's an identity question, right? Our identity is who we understand ourselves to be at our very core, right? It's what we want to believe about ourselves. It's what we want other people to believe about ourselves, whether it's true or not. And so we need to wrestle with where does this sense of identity come from? Identity is always tied to what we truly love or what we truly want. Identity, identity comes from what we believe offers us the most hope and the most happiness in our life. I, I've talked about this before. When I was in high school, uh, I, I loved playing basketball. And basketball, being a basketball player, became my identity because I, I believe that's what would give me the greatest hope and the greatest happiness in life. Today, it's very easy for us to find our identity in our, our jobs or in being a parent or even our ministry. Uh, we tend to find our identity in a lot of things. And we always find our identity, though, in our God, our small g God. See, our, our God is the person or the thing that determines who we are, what, what our purpose is. Our, our God controls our decisions our decision-making and, and what we perceive our worth to be. Our God is what we long for because we believe its promises will be, uh, bring us our greatest joy and our greatest happiness. And so when we feel insecure because something is threatening our identity, and so if we have this state of insecurity, okay, this insecurity that just seems to, to always be there because our identity is being threatened, it tells us something about our God. And so, again, insecurity is really a gift because it's exposing our heart. It's, it's exposing the idols in our heart, our gods. And it's also a gift because it's an invitation. It's an invitation to escape the dangers of these false beliefs and these false gods and ultimately find our peace and our refuge and our identity in Christ. It's an invitation to embrace the sufficiency of God and to find our identity fully in Christ. Over and over, we see in Moses saying, look, I am deficient. And God replies, that's okay because I am sufficient. I am who I am. You see, if we trust in our own sufficiency, our security, our contentment, our peace is going to be based completely on our circumstances. And as long as we perceive ourselves as being successful, then we feel secure. But as soon as something threatens our ability to be successful, our security just vanishes. On the other hand, if we learn to trust in God's sufficiency, rather than our own, it's, it's so freeing. And this, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. Our security and our contentment and our peace are no longer based on circumstances then that are constantly changing. Instead, they're, they're based on I am, the great I am, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who never changes. That's the lesson that I see in this passage. A pastor friend of mine once wisely pointed out that often in the Old Testament, God would attach his name Yahweh, or I am, to an attribute of his that supplied something that his people were lacking. So last week we talked about 
how Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son Isaac, and God stops him and provides a ram as a substitute sacrifice, which is a foreshadowing of Christ, right? And Abraham calls that place what? Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider. Later on in Exodus 15, we're going to see the Israelites are in the wilderness, and they, they're thirsty. And so they come across some water, but the water's bitter. They can't drink it. And so God tells Moses to put a piece of wood in the water, and miraculously, all of a sudden, now the water is drinkable. It's fit for drinking. And immediately after that, God identifies himself as Jehovah Rapha, I am your healer. Exodus 17, after the Israelites defeat the Amalekites, Moses builds an altar, and he calls it Jehovah Nisi. Yahweh our banner, or Yahweh our refuge. When David was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he calls God a Jehovah Ra, or Jehovah, I am your, your shepherd. When Isaiah wasn't sure how he was going to survive another day, he says to him, God says to him, Jehovah, I am Jehovah Sabaoth, Yahweh of hosts, I am your defender. And you come to the New Testament, and Jesus, when you study the I am statements of Jesus, often what he's doing there is he's describing himself as one who is able to supply what you are lacking. And so to the hungry, he says, I am the bread of life. To the thirsty, he says, I am the living water. To those who are in darkness, he, he declares, I am the light. To those who are filled with anxiety, he says, come to me, I am gentle and lowly. To those who feel lost and alone, he says, I am the good shepherd. To those who lack hope, he says, I am the way. To those who are confused, he says, I am the truth. To those who fear death, he says, I am the life. There is nothing you lack that Jesus can't give you. He fills everything. He is enough. Jesus says to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, like Paul, we can declare, therefore, I will boast the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is this not the gospel? This is the gospel. God, our righteous creator, like we talked about in class today, right? Our righteous creator who is holy. And we, who are we? He is sufficient. He is completely sufficient. And we, sinners, rebellious sinners, we are not sufficient to stand in front of a holy God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, the God-man, comes and is completely sufficient, never sins, and because of that, he became the ultimate sacrifice, the sufficient sacrifice that we could not be. Pays the penalty that we deserve on the cross, sacrificing his own blood so that now when we trust in him and say, look, I know that I'm not sufficient, but you are sufficient, and so we trust in his sufficiency, he says, you're forgiven. And he looks at you and he says, all I see is Christ in you. Yes, you are, you, are, you are sinful, you are dirty rags, but I wipe all your sin away because of what Christ did for you on the, on the cross. And so God says, if you've never trusted, if you've never relied on his sufficiency to save you, don't wait another day.
He is sufficient. He will give you everything you need for salvation and to live a godly life. Let's pray that God would help us to see that and embrace that. Father, thank you so much that your word reminds us over and over that you are enough. You are more than enough. That you supply all of our needs. Ultimately, you, you, you give us salvation because we can't save ourselves. We bring nothing to the table, Lord. Even faith is a gift from you. And so I plead with you that you would you would open up our eyes to see this and to embrace this. If there are people in this room that have never trusted in you for salvation, I pray right now that your spirit would convict them of their sins. They would realize that they are insufficient to stand before your holiness and that they would cry out to you with, with pleading for forgiveness and they would embrace you and trust that you are sufficient. What you did on the cross is sufficient to save them. And for those of us who are believers, I pray and I plead with you that you would rid us from insecurity because you rid us from this belief that we are self-sufficient. Help us to lean on you in everything so that we would be freed from fear and totally reliant upon you for everything in this life, that you are our healer, that you are our provider Thank you for this word. Make it real in our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're a, a visitor with us today, we, we celebrate communion every single week because we recognize that we need to be reminded of what Christ did on the cross for us. It's a, it's a time where we get a chance to get alone with God and we, we take the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for us for, for the forgiveness of sins. And we take the, the bread, which 